0: The views and opinions expressed by individuals on the following program do not necessarily reflect those of the network, Guy's Guy Radio, and its platforms.
1: It's Guy's Guy Radio.
0: Here's your host, Robert Manny. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show where men and women can be at their best and everyone wins. Guys Guys Radio. We're here to inform you, inspire you, empower you, and get you to think, feel, and who knows, maybe even act by virtue of the journeys, stories, experiences, and insights of the guests I bring you each and every week to the show. And this week is no exception. Once again, I've got a great guest. And today, we're going to talk about the Beatles. And specifically, we're going to talk about the Beatles and their travels to India and their time spent with the Maharishi and how the influences of the Indian culture were brought back to the UK and also to the US by the Beatles and what that experience was like for them and for the author of the book, The Inner Light, How India Influenced the Beatles, my special guest, A Return the Guys Guys Radio, award-winning author, Susan Shumsky. I think you're really going to enjoy it. She's a self, self-assessed self hippie girl, and she lived in Northern California and in Haight-Ashbury and in San Francisco and live concerts, and she was at the Grateful Dead and Santana playing in the park for free, and she went to Altamont, where the Stones and the Dead played, and they had uh, somebody, unfortunately, got killed in the concert, and just crazy times back then. And she ended up moving uh, into an ashram and following the Maharishi um, in India and spent 20 years there. And she's pulled together the second book she's done on the Beatles and their travels to India and their time with the Maharishi and kind of what they learned and which songs were influenced. And she's got a great book called The Inner Light, How India Influenced the Beatles. And it's filled with a lot of QR codes where you can get pictures and uh, lyrics to the songs and uh, music and all kinds of stuff. It's a lot of fun and it's a lot of original new information called, once again, The Inner Light How India Influenced the Beatles. It's a beautiful book. I think you really enjoy it. So check it out. And here we are right at the end of 2022. And the holidays are upon us quickly, uh, once again. And if you haven't done so, make sure you get all your shopping done. Make sure you drive safely because people are filled with anxiety and anticipation and they're scrambling around for all that last minute stuff and you know the end of the year is supposed to be a time of kind of rest and relaxation and celebration and gratitude and too much of it is spent on materialism and frantic scrambling around trying to get stuff uh, but that's what we do this is how our culture has evolved and Hopefully, we don't forget what uh, the holidays are all about and about spending time with your friends and family and just being appreciative of all the wonderful things each one of us has in our lives. And I know so many people have tough times out there and have gone through a lot, particularly over the last three years. But, you know, ultimately, everyone has some things to be thankful for. Not, if nothing else, the fact that you can open your eyes in the morning and say, I'm alive, I'm here on planet Earth once again. Um, and I know, like, once again, people have tough situations they're dealing with, whether it's health or finance or, or whatever, but we all have things to be thankful for. And if you really think about it, we've probably asked to be here, and there's certain lessons we we're learning, each one of us in this, this earth school. So let's be aware that we're probably exactly where we're supposed to be. All of us are heading in the same direction but we're in different places on the journey, so let's also be careful not to judge each other if we think we're more evolved than some other folks, because ultimately we're all going to land in the same destination of home. So just be sensitized to the fact that we're all connected. So Guys Guys Radio, and once again, my special guest, Susan Shumsky, we're going to talk all about the Beatles. We're going to talk about India. We're going to talk about yoga, meditation, um, the sitar, the Maharishi, the individuals who made up the Beatles, John, Paul, George, and Ringo, as well as the Beatles as that collective, this is the most important band in the history of music. They'll go down in history the same way, in my opinion, as you know, Mozart. And they, there's, as Tom Petty said, there's the Beatles and there's everybody else. So regardless of your tastes in music, you probably like the Beatles too, because it's hard not to like them. Their songwriting and their harmonies and they're, they're just a musicianship. And the way the songs were produced by the incredible uh, George Martin, they just made a mark. And I've had all those different periods where they did, you know, the whole She Loves Me to Rubber Soul, where you had the acoustic influence there. And then, more a little more psychedelic when you got to uh, revolver and then Sgt. pepper which was a huge breakthrough and then getting into abbey road and the white album and eventually the let it be but just incredible music that they put out that's still as popular today that it was back then now of course beatlemania isn't the same now but their music lives on and on and we're going to get into it right now on guys guys radio It's Guys Guy Radio. Okay, Guys Guys Radio, the interview portion of our show. We've got a very special return guest to Guys Guys Radio. Her name is Susan Shumsky. She's authored over 20 books in English, released 36 foreign editions, won 43 book awards. She's done 1,300 media appearances, and she's a rare insider in that she was on the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi's personal staff. For six years and lived in his ashrams for 20 years. She's written a number of books, as I've mentioned, but two of them are about the Beatles and the Beatles' experience in India with the Maharishi and also how the Maharishi and India kind of shaped the individual Beatles' personalities, affected their music, and also, of course, the Beatles affected our culture. So the Indian influence has come through to us, a lot of it, via the Beatles way back in the 60s. So Her new book is called The Inner Light, How India Influenced the Beatles, and it's a a wonderful book. I went through it over the weekend, and like, wow, there's QR codes, you can get the music, you can learn so much about the individual Beatles, their songs, and we're going to get to all of that today on Guys Guys Radio. But first, let's welcome back our special guest, Susan Shumsky. Welcome back to Guys Guys Radio. How are you, Susan?
1: (laughs) Great. Thanks for inviting me, Robert. I'm so Uh, glad to be here with you today.
0: My pleasure. It's always a, a great show with you. So let's uh, get started right at the beginning. You were a hippie back in San Francisco uh, in the mid-60s. Let's start with you, a little bit about you for context, because you've had a really incredible journey. So why did you get involved in uh, kind of the quote-unquote hippie free love movement? And what was it like living in Northern California in those days?
1: It was a wild time, you know. <laughs> and uh um... Oh, I became a hippie. Well, you know, it was just the time. Uh we were rebelling against the Vietnam War. We wanted to make love, not war, and we wanted uh change the world. And it was really a spiritual revolution that was going on. And those of us who were flower children, you know, it wasn't just all about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. We were really seriously seeking spiritual awakening. We were looking for nirvana. And at that time, our gurus were Timothy Leary and Richard Alpert, who later became Ram Dass. Mm-hmm. And they told us to turn on, tune in and drop out. So that's what we were trying to do. And they claimed that we could reach nirvana through LSD. So we tried that. I tried it anyway. <laughs> it didn't work too well. It didn't work out too well for me. <laughs> but I still wanted <laughs> to reach nirvana. So I was reading all of these books, you know, I was consuming the, the Buddhist scriptures and Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda. I was reading The Way of Zen and other works by Alan Watts. And Alan Watts said that you have to find a meditation guide if you want to reach nirvana. So, well, you didn't exactly go to the yellow pages back then and <laughs> look for a meditation guide. In the or or
0: now, <laughs> or now for the yellow pages, right? they've yeah. They've come and gone, but go ahead, I'm sorry,
1: yeah, exactly, so, um yeah, so i I still was looking for Nirvana, and I asked a friend, well, how do I you know, how do I find this meditation guide? He said, "Have you ever tried to meditate on your own?" And I said, "Oh, okay, I'll give it a shot, so I lay on my bed. that's how clueless I was, Robert. I didn't even know mm-hmm. that you're supposed to sit up when you right, meditate. Right. <laughs> lay in my bed and sort of asked for or prayed for a meditation. And immediately I was propelled into this ecstatic state. I could feel this cord or rush of energy rushing from the tips of my toes all the way up to the top of my head. And I felt like I was plugged into a cosmic electric socket, but in a most ecstatic way. And I figured, well, I guess this is meditation. I didn't know any better. Not only... Uh, did I have my first meditation experience at that point, but also Kundalini awakening all at the same time and with no drugs or stimulants or anything. And uh, it was not too long after that that I found found myself in the Transcendental Meditation Center. uh, And not too long after that, I found myself in India studying with Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, who uh, he later became the guru of the Beatles.
0: Wow, what a, what a journey. So once you started, why do you think for yourself, looking back, that you had this kind of rapid ramp up, if you will, like you laid down on your bed, you didn't even know how to meditate, and then you got a kundalini awakening and you started, you know, astral traveling or whatever. Why do you think that happened with you? Was it because of your previous, you think it was for your pre- previous experimentation with psychedelic uh, helpers, if you will, or was it just your personality? or just your spiritual kind of a uh, foundation that had been there that you hadn't realized yet.
1: Yeah, I think it was my spiritual foundation. Um, you know, a lot of things make a lot of sense if you believe in reincarnation. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. And so. so when you were in uh, northern California, did you follow where did you follow the music scene there with the the Grateful Dead and the Jefferson Airplane and some of the other bands cat wherever the door, I guess the doors were LA, but um, were you into the music scene out there?
1: Absolutely. I certainly was. I found myself at the filmer Auditorium, the Avalon Ballroom, Winterland. I would often go to the concerts uh, almost every week. I would find Carlos Santana and his band would be playing for free in People's Park in Berkeley. Uh, that was my favorite thing, was to go over there and watch Santana.
2: Unbelievable.
1: (laughs) So, yes, I was very much into it and saw all the above that you mentioned and Cream and Janis Joplin and uh, Who and so many, so many bands.
0: Now, when do you think when Altamont, the 60s was this opening up and it opened up, you know, sometimes when things happen, they go too far almost. And the, the whole hippie thing in the 60s seems to really get out there and maybe it needed to crack things open. And then you had the end of the '60s, which some people say the uh, concert at the Altamont Speedway with the Stones and the Grateful Dead and the tragedies that occurred there became kind of a marker to turn things the page into the '70s, and it was a different kind of vibe from that point. What is your take on that since you were out there?
1: No, I was at Altamont. Wow. I was very close to the stage. I was right there when that uh, Meredith was murdered. Um, it was very scary. And uh, it was like a feeling, like you were in a mob, and that maybe you'd fall down and you'd get trampled because you were being you were in that enclosed, just claustrophobic. Everyone was pressing against each other, so it was a really really scary. Uh, it was a and, and you had
0: you had the uh, uh, Hells Angels were the security force, and I've seen the the movie about Altamont, yes. and you can see that. The stage, there was like a dog runs, runs across the stage and the stones when they were playing, they were like right there. You could like touch right the stage, which exactly. you don't have that anymore. So they seem to be a little bit, uh, or, or, you know, a little bit flustered by the whole situation. And then ultimately they look pretty scared when they uh, when it got, kind of got whisked off at the end after the after the murder. Do you think that was, was a scared. marker, though, for the change in the culture or was it that's just some type of. You know, mythology that we look back and say, oh, this is what happened and that changed things? Or was it that big of an event? Now, you were there yeah. and you were a quote unquote <laughs> hippie. So, what was your take on it?
1: Yeah. I mean, people do perceive it that way. Um, but I don't know that it was that dramatic of a, this is the end of this and the beginning of that. Mm-hmm. I think that the influence of the hippie movement and of the psychedelic revolution that, Change the world uh, has continued from that from way back in the mid sixties till today.
0: Okay. So yeah, transcendental meditation. So you start meditating. What is your perspective uh, on trans on TM? To meditate, do you need a mantra? Do you need to study TM? Or can you just kind of, as part of your spiritual enfoldment, learn how to meditate? And not, not necessarily a guided meditation, but just kind of like open yourself up what's what's your thought on that how important is it to follow tm and have a mantra
1: or well is i i practiced tm for a couple decades and it was very very beneficial for me i loved it i had wonderful experiences with it and then i learned another form of meditation that i happen to like better so i started teaching that but tm is a wonderful technique it does use a mantra but a People can learn to meditate. There are many different paths of meditation, many different uh, ways to meditate, even walking meditation. There's so, so many, so many ways to mm-hmm. meditate. And I think that people just need to find what's right for them, what works for them.
0: I learned with uh, Fritz Smith, I think his name is, the pyramid meditation. And it's a little bit of a guided meditation. And some people who I've had on the show who are experts in the area say, well, you know, if you're, if you're meditating, you go through a guided, med- guided meditation, which I do on my own every day. I've been doing it for years. And I, you know, I don't follow necessarily uh, the Fritz Smith plan uh, precisely, but uh, I follow something. And some people say, well, you shouldn't be following something because that's not meditating. What's your, what's your position <laughs> on that? In other words, a guided meditation.
1: If people say that, then they have a very narrow viewpoint, I believe. Uh Uh, I think guided meditation is wonderful. I think it's the easiest way to meditate. I I think that it's a wonderful way for people to get into meditation because I call it the do-nothing program. Do Mm -hmm. nothing, nothing, and less than nothing. Just follow the instructions, and that will guide you into meditation. So guided meditation is wonderful, and I have several books. Uh, My books are behind me. (laughs) I have several books, uh, third eye meditation, earth energy meditations, uh, instant healing. So many of my books uh, are books of guided meditations, affirmations, prayers, mantras. All of these are helpful for meditation. But guided meditation is just totally fantastic because, you know, step by step, you, Mm -hmm. you don't have to do anything. You just follow the instructions, step by step by step, and that guides you into meditation.
0: Okay, my special guest, Susan Chumsky, and we we're supposed to be talking about the Beatles. I'm sorry I kind of let us off track there, but I want to lay some foundation, some context for our conversation. The new book is called The Inner Light, How India Influenced the Beatles, and it's your second book about the Beatles and their experience in India. So first, how did you get yourself then to, uh, to India, and what was it like living in the ashram?
1: Well, I was so impressed with the results that I was getting from transcendental meditation. It changed my life so dramatically that I immediately wanted to become a teacher. So I started applying for the teacher training courses, and I kept getting rejected time after time because they kept saying I was too young. And finally, in 1970, Maharishi allowed the younger students to go to India and to study with him. So I was on that course. Uh, starting in January 1970.
0: Now, you wrote another book, Maharishi and Me, which was similar in some ways, but this is more Beatles-specific and song-specific, as well as the cultural influence uh, of India on the Beatles, as well as on our culture. What was your main inspiration for writing this second book, which is wonderful, by the way, about the Beatles called The Inner Light, How India Influenced the Beatles?
1: Well, the reason why I wrote the second book is because uh, I had written the first book. And that book, not only did it tell my story of being with Maharishi and what it was like to live with a spiritual master from India, but it also went into the relationship between Maharishi and many celebrities the Beatles and Deepak Chopra, Mike Love, the Beach Boys, uh, Doug Henning, uh, Andy Kaufman, and several other big celebrities that were really really into TM at the time and when i wrote the beatles uh wrote about the beatles in that book it just wasn't enough i wanted to tell the whole story so i started getting into the whole story and doing more research and my goodness it was amazing what i was able to find about the beatles and how india influenced not only uh their lives uh, but their music, mm-hmm. the lyrics, the musicians, the musical instruments from India, and yes. the Indian culture, and everything about India really influenced the Beatles.
0: But let's, let's get to the Beatles then. So you have four individuals uh, who were uh, this cohesive unit, and they had kind of a siege mentality, I guess, as you would, because everybody was uh, kind of on the Beatles, and everything they did as a band was... You know it was pandemonium and it was a it was just since the biggest thing since elvis and looking back probably bigger um then they were individuals and they had young guys in their 20s and they started to look for their own identity and it helped their music and also ended up kind of splitting them apart because they were really four very different personalities what was your sense as to in a nutshell and i know this is a big question how How did they get to India, and how did it really affect the Beatles as a band and also individually?
1: Well, how they got to India is through Patti Boyd originally. She was the one who learned Transcendental Meditation in London in early 1967. And when she explained uh, how incredible it was for her and what the benefits were to her husband, George Harrison, he said, oh, well, I want my own mantra. So when they found out that Maharishi was going to be uh, speaking at the Hilton Park, Hilton Hotel on August 24th, 1967, George got tickets for all the Beatles to go. And they were very impressed with Maharishi. And they met with him afterwards on stage. And John said to Maharishi that they were seeking a very highly spiritual experience, but LSD didn't, you know, they tried LSD and that didn't really work. And Maharishi said, well, it's very laudable of the youth today to be seeking spiritual enlightenment, but drugs are not the way to get there. He said, "Uh, you should learn transcendental meditation from one of my teachers in London and become teachers of TM. And uh, the Beatles said, but we want to learn from you. And George apparently said to Maharishi, or he he says that he said this to Maharishi, I don't know if he really did, uh, got any mantras? (laughs) Maharishi, got any mantras? (laughs) Got
0: got mantras?
1: (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Maharishi invited them to come to Bangor, North Wales, where he would be teaching a meditation retreat the following day. So they traveled with him on the train, on public transportation, up to North Wales. And they learned DM the next day. Uh, he was teaching a ten day retreat, but they only stayed for two days because the next day Brian Epstein passed over suddenly. So they had to go back to London. And uh, he's the, he was their manager, by the way. You right, right. don't know who Brian Epstein is, so um, so then they wanted to go to India soon after that, but. Paul was very much into this uh, magical mystery tour thing, and he wanted to make sure that they worked on that. And also, he was worried that if they went to India, that maybe they would never come back as a band. He was actually very concerned about the Beatles breaking up at that point because of the deep interest that George and John had in, uh, in and what, India. What, in year,
0: what year was this? This was in
1: 1967 they learned tm on august 25th 1967
0: okay. um now yeah. th- doing the research for the book um your your paths didn't cross you weren't there when the beatles were there or were you and tell us about because the book is so well researched and so i can tell it's a lot of work because the credits in the back of the book are like pages yeah. upon pages and pages i can imagine what you had to go through to get pull this information together but you did a, a, a fascinating, a splendid job because the book is fascinating. And it starts with you know the Beatles learning uh, they, they never had gotten high on pot before. And then Bob Dylan turned them on. And then from there, it continued on their journey of kind of outward expression and their own unfoldment in different areas and sampling different drugs, have you, uh, have, uh, what have you. And then ultimately going to India and that changed them again. So how did you pull all of this together? It's just an amazing job you did.
1: It was a lot of work.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Tremendous work. Uh, And I had to draw from many different sources and interview a lot of different people. And it was a a tremendous task to create this book, but I'm so proud of it. It came out so well. And uh, I'm just thrilled with all the QR codes that I put in there, 130 QR codes, 170 photos. Uh, very rare photos that I was able to get from some of the musicians and so on. So Indian musicians and so much. I found out so much about the Indian musicians and their relationship with George Harrison and the other Beatles. Just amazing.
0: Take us through um, from your perspective and your research, what was the uh, journey like for the individual four Beatles, as well as the Beatles as a band? When they went to India, when they came back, how did they change, individually and collectively?
1: Okay, well, I'm going to start by saying by saying what Maharishi said about the Beatles. Um, uh, according to one of Maharishi's disciples, who wrote in his diary Maharishi's impressions of the Beatles, Maharishi said that Ringo is always in meditation and goes by feeling and heart. But as for the other Beatles, too much brain is in the way. George is the most advanced, and this is his last life. But John has many more lifetimes to go, and he must not give give in to his weakness for women, or it will ruin him. Maharishi also predicted that if the Beatles did not continue their meditation practice, that their band would break up. So the ones who were most dedicated uh, to spiritual development, shall we say, at least on an intellectual level, were George and John. And Ringo sort of went along for the ride, but in his great innocence, you know, he really Maharishi considered him to always be in meditation. Paul was the business-minded one who who wanted to get back, you know, to no pun, Apple. No, no
2: pun intended. Get back, right?
1: Yeah, get to get back, right? Uh, to Apple to continue uh, what they had to now deal with doing business when Brian Epstein had been taking care of everything for them. So John, I think, saw Maharishi as kind of a father figure to replace Brian or something. And uh, George was really there for the genuine spiritual development. Um, And so, I don't know, after they left India, there was not so much cohesion as there was before. Um, Ringo left after about a week. Um uh, Paul left after about a month. And John and George were the ones who stayed on for a couple months.
0: And they be- became actually the clo- closer uh, after this experience uh, until, you know, John's passing and and the band breaking up and then John's passing. But uh, very, very interesting. So let's get into some of the songs. Tell us about why don't you pick them out? Because there's so many mentioned in the book, coming starting from like There's a Place all the way through. Nowhere Man, Got to Get You Into My Life, Norwegian Wood, um, Sexy Sadie, Everybody's Got Something to Hide But Me and My Monkey. Talk to us about, pick a couple of songs out and tell us how the India trip influenced the Beatles in the creation of this music.
1: Okay, so let's start with Across the Universe, which John wrote very soon after they learned Transcendental Meditation. It's a description of the meditation process, actually. it's Beautiful. John says it's his best lyrics that he ever wrote. It's uh, very beautiful, very poetic. It's my favorite Beatles song. And in that song, uh, John writes, Guru Deva Om. Okay, so uh, what does that mean? Well, Guru Dev" means uh, glory to the divine teacher, to the divine preceptor. And uh, Maharishi, uh, whenever he would meet or greet anyone, he would never say hello, goodbye, have a nice day. no no,
0: no pun pun intended hello goodbye right that's (laughs) (laughs) he
1: would put his put his hands together in a prayer position that in india they call it pranam or namaskar which means i bow to the god within you so he would put his hands together and he would say jay guru dev and he would (laughs) say that like a hundred times a day to everyone jay guru dev jay guru dev jay Hmm. and guru dev in that context was Maharishi's guru, uh, Swami Brahmananda Saraswati. So he was always giving honor and hailing his guru. Uh, so John put that in the song, and then he stuck an Om afterwards, and Om is a sacred sound in India, which is uh, supposedly that sound that underlies and gives rise to the entire universe. So that's the explanation. Cool. Of- brief explanation about across the universe another cool. interesting one would be everyone's got something to hide except me and my monkey which you know people don't realize that that's one of the main songs that was influenced directly by maharishi and that song uh is consists entirely of lyrics that are maharishi's catchphrases maharishi whenever he would want to meet someone he would say, either say come come or he'd say, come on, come on, so come on. And then uh, many, many times a day, probably 100 times a day, he would say, it's such a joy. Whenever there was anything good that happened, it's such a joy, it's such a joy. And then another catchphrase he always used to use was, take it easy, take it as it comes. No matter what the problem was, that somebody would give, tell Maharishi their problem, he would always say, take it easy, take it as it comes, especially when he was talking about the process of meditation, is to take it easy and take it as it comes.
0: How about the the reference then? everybody's got something to hide, but me and my monkey, what's the connection there then?
1: No idea, but there were a lot of monkeys in India. Uh, John claims that song was about him and Yoko. It really was not about Yoko at all. It was (laughs) was completely lyric. Uh, How about about another? And by the way, John never admitted that that song was Maharishi's catchphrases.
0: Let's do another song.
1: Okay, well, how about Revolution? You got it. So, uh, John wrote Revolution uh, in India, and uh, that song was about something called the Maharishi Effect. So, uh, what is that? Well, you know, it was the 1960s, uh, actually, really mid century. 20th century there was this cold war going and we were terrified the bombs were going to fall on our head and i was a child of the cold war you know and the Beatles were a child really even world war ii (laughs) they were born beginning in world war ii so this idea of revolution maharishi always said that in order for the forest to be green, the trees must be green. In order for the world to be at peace, individuals must be at peace. So he kept saying that you could never have world peace through treaties, through changing institutions, changing constitution, anything like that. The only way to world peace was if individuals are at peace. And the only way for individuals to be at peace is for them to meditate. So he believed that world peace could be achieved by groups of people meditating, practicing meditation. So he proved that by sending hundreds of meditators to war-torn areas and crime-ridden areas to meditate together in large groups. And then he did statistical studies and found out that the war would subside, the crime rate would go down. And that was called the Maharishi effect. So, so that's what revolution was about. You know, you want to change the institution, you better change your mind instead.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. Now, what actually then went down between the Beatles and the Maharishi? So they went there, they studied, Ringo left first, then Paul, John, uh, John and George stayed, and then they had kind of a falling out with the Maharishi. Um, what happened there?
1: Yeah, there were a couple of things that happened. One of them had to do with a film deal gone south. Uh, Maharishi had given exclusive rights to the Beatles to film him, to make this film about him and about his guru, Gurudev, and film at the ashram and all of this. And Neil Aspinall came to India, negotiated the contract with Maharishi, went back to put together a film crew, then all of a sudden, who shows up at the ashram, but Charlie Lutz, who is Maharishi's head of his organization, uh, Spiritual Regeneration Movement. And he arrives with a lawyer and a signed contract uh, between the TM organization and Four Star Productions of Hollywood, which this contract gave exclusive rights to film Maharishi for the next five years. And then all of a sudden, one morning, John opens the door to his bungalow. He's bedheaded and bleary-eyed, and he looks out into the courtyard. And what does he see? A cameraman and a director who yells, "Action!" So Maharishi, uh, so John and George got very angry, and they refused to leave their bungalow to go to the lecture hall where the lights and cameras were set up for filming. The store four star production film that was not the film was not the Apple tour the Apple uh, which was the Beatles organization was not
2: and what was the explanation that. given to them
1: you know it was it was very complicated they were wasn't as simple as I just gave that story that was a short okay. story. Okay. They were negotiating. They were talking to Maharishi late into the night. All these meetings were going on for days upon days about this whole thing. It was a mess. So, so the after that happened where the cameramen showed up, um, they, the Beatles left very soon after that. That was one of the main reasons they left. There were more than one reason, but that was one of the reasons.
0: So after they came back to uh, England, did they patch things up with the Maharishi at any point? I know they wrote the song Sexy Sadie, which is not a pretty picture of him. Um, what did the? What's your take on what happened afterwards?
1: Yeah, they wrote Sexy Sadie because Maharishi had made a pass at a woman named Rosalind who was on the course. Uh, and also he had made a pass at Mia Farrow, who was also on the course. She's a famous actress. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah. So they came back to London and, yes, John tried to reconcile with Maharishi at the end of 1969 when he went to Delhi with Yoko Ono, and he tried to get in touch with Maharishi, and he sent a telegram to the ashram. And when the secretary told Maharishi about this telegram, Maharishi says, who it is from? And the secretary said, from John Lennon, Maharishi. Maharishi said, who? She said, John Lennon. Maharishi said, who? She said john lennon from the beatles he said who she said john lennon from the beatles who they were here remember maharishi looked at her and then he turned his head and he said i do not know a john lennon
0: what so based on like behavior like this and you spent a lot of time here 20 years i guess and then six years with the maharishi what was your take on that experience and um you know, sometimes we put these people on pedestals and we realize, we fail to realize sometimes that they're human beings and they have their personalities and foibles like the rest of us. What was your take on all this stuff? Uh, was it, you know, there was some confusion there? How was your experience? And did you go in kind of, uh, um, I, I say this just respectfully, were you like naive going into it and say, oh, my goodness, I didn't realize it was really this? Or did you know exactly what you're getting into and there were no surprises? What was it like for you,
1: yeah, so I had incredible experiences with meditation. I had amazing experiences being around Maharishi. I was extremely devoted to him. Uh, I was not thwarted by what I thought were rumors here and there. And and even when I found out that Maharishi, even though he claimed to be life celibate Bal Brahm, Brahmachari, that he was actually having sex with these various women that I knew, and by the way, I know fourteen, fifteen 15 women who Maharishi either made it past that or who had sex with him. So, you know, yeah, he's a man, you know, he's not, <laughs> is, he's not is God. He,
0: is he still alive?
1: Uh, no, he died in uh, 2008.
0: Okay. And has there been somebody who kind of took over the mantle for the
2: movement?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, he,
2: so how did the
0: experience find
1: someone there... to that past?
0: Okay. So how did the experience then um, change you? The good and the bad or whatever. How did you go into it and how did you come out of it as a human being?
1: Yeah, so i benefited tremendously from meditating so much for so long and <laughs> so many years and it was a, a wonderful experience for me and I continue to have benefits until today from everything that i learned not only uh, about meditation but also maharishi had me do all this i was on staff so i was doing all these different tasks that he gave me and assigned me that helped me develop myself in very practical ways as well as in meditation so i had nothing but positive results from the whole thing and uh yeah
0: and it's interesting that, uh, and again, my special guest Susan Chumsky, her second book on the book on the Beatles, it's called "The Inner Light." For those viewers out there, you can see it here, and it's a terrific book. And it breaks down a lot of the songs and influences. And I guess my point is, although they had kind of an up and down experience with the Maharishi, we benefited because they brought uh, the Beatles brought back a lot of the Indian culture through their music. George got to meet Ravi Shankar. They integrated the sitar into. Uh, first song was Norwegian wood um, and it changed them. And we benefited because their music seemed to sprout from there in a lot of different directions. So, although maybe it was a painful experience for them, in some ways, everybody, you know, you have to look at the bright side as to what came out of it. And I think we all got the benefits of that. What's your take on that, Susan?
1: Yeah. I mean, when Maharishi first came to the West, which was around 1963 or so, There were just no words in the dictionary, in the English dictionary, such as yoga, mantra, karma, avatar, ashram. These words didn't exist. And now they are commonplace in our language. We have yoga studios on every corner. We have martial arts. We have all these Eastern influences that were not there that uh, Maharishi brought to the West with a little help from his friends. The Beatles. <laughs>
2: so if you caught that's, that. That's one. three. That's three. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so yeah, uh, greatly influenced the West. And now, by the he, way, uh, you had asked me if they tried to reconcile. Also, George yes. tried to reconcile with Maharishi and kept trying to call him during the nineteen seventies, and Maharishi would would never speak with him.
0: Why, why do you think? In your opinion, finally why? he
1: did, though, meet with Maharishi in nineteen ninety one. I think it was.
0: Why did you think that the Maharishi was kind of uh, making like they didn't exist? Because uh, I could I could understand why they would be upset if they, if they were expecting a deal to do their own movie with him and he was already off doing something else. I mean, anybody would be disappointed, but not knowing all the details. But why do you think he made like they didn't exist? Why was he upset with them?
1: Because they walked out on him. That's why.
0: Okay. Okay. he
1: he was very unforgiving for people who Mm -hmm. didn't stay
0: now continue
1: uh, meditating and continue on that that path
0: now yoga you mentioned that um and it's interesting that there is a yoga studio in every corner and uh, yoga has changed a lot as it came to america because we have a lot of it's a lot more physical now you have the hot yoga like a series of it's like exercises in a lot of way my wife is a she teaches yoga teachers in Hatha Yoga, and it's really a very different practice. It's about breathing, and it's really, to me, from what I understand of it, it's more about what yoga originally wasn't intended for, but hey, things, you know, things evolve. What's your take on yoga and what's happened to it? And what was so Maharishi's are, influence on it?
1: Yeah, so there are many uh, forms of yoga. There's karma yoga, which is the path of service. There's bhakti yoga, which is the path of devotion. There's hatha yoga, which is a path of the physical culture. Uh, There is raja yoga, which is meditation. And so yoga, the word yoga means to unite, to unify. It's the unification of individual spirit with universal spirit. It's not unification of the nose with the knee. It's not unification of the forehead with the floor. It's unification of the individual with God. So that's what yoga is. And, you know, Maharishi had a tremendous effect of of bringing yoga to the West. Uh, Not only the the meditation practice, but also the physical aspect of it, practicing yoga asanas and pranayama, which he taught. He didn't just teach meditation. Interesting. So, yeah.
0: Let's talk about a couple more of the the songs. Um, Dear Dear Prudence,
1: Bungalow Bill.
0: Pool on the
2: hill. Tell us about.
1: Okay, this. yeah, dear Prudence was about Prudence Farrow, Mia Farrow's sister. Mia Farrow was a you know back in the day was very famous. She starred in Rosemary's Baby, which put her on the map. She was also the wife of Frank Sinatra right. for a while. And uh, Maharishi took a tremendous liking to Mia, and as a result, uh, well. Prudence got to go to India, even though she was really young. She's the same exact age that I am. So um, Prudence had been practicing transcendental meditation for a couple years. She was very, very devoted to it. It had changed her, transformed her. Uh, She had been an addict, alcoholic, and also drug addict. She was really in very bad shape as a teenager. So meditation really changed her tremendously no more drugs no more alcohol you know so she went to India but unfortunately those demons were still there and she had a psychotic break when she was in India which was uh, very scary for everyone and uh, but ended up Maharishi healed her Uh, she went to his bungalow uh, day by day and he had her practice yoga exercises in the corner of the of the room and uh, kept her focused and, but, you know, just basically healed her. And she had a very happy ending, uh, had a wonderful, uh, got married, has a wonderful family, teaches Sanskrit, teaches yoga. But okay. when she was an in India, she was obsessed with meditation and no one could get her to come out of her room. So John wrote that song, you know, Dear Prudence, Come Out and Play. Okay. Maharishi had asked John and George to take care of her.
0: Uh, okay, we got two more. Real quick, you mentioned bungalow, the bungalow, so Bungalow Bill. Tell us yeah, about Bungalow
1: Bill. Uh, his name is Rick Cook, and he came to India to visit his mom, who was on the course. Her name was Nancy Cook. And uh, he came there, though, to go hunting. He didn't come to meditate or anything. But uh, he and his mom went out on this tiger hunt, and they killed the tiger. And then they came back to the ashram to tell Maharishi about their exploits. They came to tell Maharishi, the vegetarian Hindu <laughs> yogi uh, pacifist, about killing the tiger. So that didn't go over too well. And uh, John, John Lennon uh, said, well, isn't that a bit life destructive? And uh, during the meeting where they were all with Maharishi, and uh, that just... Uh, says that John was really devoted to Maharishi's teachings because Maharishi used to always talk about life supportive actions and life destructive actions. Those were a couple of his buzzwords. So that song was a, a, it was a complete description, very detailed description of the tiger hunt and what happened in the meeting afterwards.
0: Now, how about uh, last one? Fool on the hill. Who was the fool on the hill?
1: Well, Paul says the fool on the hill was about someone like Maharishi because he wrote it before he ever learned TM or ever met Maharishi. Uh, He was inspired by a hermit who uh, missed world war II because he was in a cave and uh, you know, it was prescient that song because it was so much about Maharishi, uh, but it was not written until after um, it was not written until, it was not written after he <laughs> met Maharishi. <laughs> all
0: right. Susan Shumsky, her book is called The Inner Light, How India Influenced the Beatles. It is a wonderful book. It's got, as you mentioned, uh, so many uh, QR codes. You can scan lyrics. You can scan songs. It's, it's a beautiful book. And it tells the whole story right from the beginning of the Susan's days in uh, California all the way through are timed in India at the ashram and back, and it weaves in the story of the Beatles and the Indian influence on them and therefore on us. Wonderful job, Susan. Any parting words in terms of what you'd like our people to know about the the Beatles or the Beatles and their trip to India?
1: You know, um, Olivia Harrison said that when George died, uh, you didn't need to have a light on because this incredible bright light happened in the room, a beautiful golden light, and it lit the room. So that just gives you an indication of what kind of consciousness George Harrison was. And he wasn't the only one. All four of the Beatles, extraordinary individuals who brought Eastern wisdom and spirituality to the West.
0: Amazing. Where can uh, our listeners and viewers find out more about you, Susan? Find more of your wonderful books and just learn more about all your work.
1: So my website is, I have two websites, drsusan.org, drsusan.org, and also divinetravels.com, divine travels, plural on the travels, that's D-I-V-I-N-E travels with a S on the end.com.
0: Fantastic. Well, thanks for being back. Your third time on Guys Guy's Radio. I'm sure we'll do it again because you have so many books coming through you, and I really appreciate it and I love your work. So, thank you.
1: And thank you. It's Guys Guy Radio.
0: Wow, what a terrific interview with a special award-winning author and return Guys Guy guest, Susan Shumsky. Again, the book, The Inner Light, How India Influenced the Beatles. So what did we learn? Well, I think we all learn and can agree that the Beatles are the most influential band ever, and the most popular band ever, and the most beloved band ever. Now, I'm a huge Stones fan, but uh, I've always loved the Beatles because they broke the door down and got everybody else in the British Invasion and beyond, in the door to rock, the new version of rock and roll, the 60s rock and roll, not the 50s rock and roll, but really how rock and roll expanded and evolved. You know, the Beatles were trendsetters with all their different periods uh, in their career and all their different sounds and the, the instruments they use, includes, including the sitar, that they're just timeless. And they'll be with us throughout our lives and are... Kids' lives and their kids and their kids and their kids they're going to be around uh, the Beatles and their influence so great show on guys guys radio great guest, great topic I just can't get enough of talking about me- music and the Beatles and they just really so influential so special and so much a part of the fabric of our lives so thank you once again Susan Shumsky so guys guys radio we're here every Wednesday evening at 8 p.m pacific time on kcaa radio here in southern california 106.5 fm 10:50 a.m the podcast my youtube and rumble all post thursdays worldwide and there's a replay a rebroadcast of the kcaa radio show guys guys radio every sunday at 6 p.m pacific time so feel free to stream the show listen live download it watch it on Guys Guys TV on YouTube or Rumble. So you have no excuse not to be able to find Guys Guys Radio and Guys Guys TV. And if you enjoy the content and the guests I bring you each and every week to the show, I ask you just to do one thing. Please subscribe. Subscribe to the YouTube or Rumble wherever you consume your videos and on radio, Apple Podcasts or whatever, wherever you subscribe and uh, consume your content for podcasts. Please subscribe to Guys Guys Radio. So at the heading towards the end of the year, we've got, uh, let's see, we've got one more show, and then we get into 2023. I've got guests lined up right through the first quarter, and we're going to be adding a new platform that I'll get into on our next show uh, in terms of we'll be even more visible with more listeners on a bigger platform worldwide, and I'm uh, very excited about telling you all about that. And it's just going to keep us growing and growing and growing here on Guys Guys Radio. So I want to thank all the wonderful guests I've interviewed over the last couple of years, all 700 of them plus, as well as my wonderful producer, Chris, and uh, Ryan, who's been with me from the beginning. And also, most of all, I want to thank you, my audience, for growing with us and sticking with us and telling your friends about the show and for subscribing. And it just means so much. And we're having so much fun. And we've got a lot more to go. So we're going to see you again soon. And until then, like I always like to say, guys, guys, finish first.